Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to be talking about Leviticus 25. So you can go there if you want, or if you on the Preparing You website, you can go and load uh, Leviticus 25 and find out what that is all about. But if you just read the text, you probably won't understand <laughs> what it's about, especially if you have some of the preconceived notions about the Old Testament that is common amongst uh, modern Jews and modern Christians today. Even uh, Christians and Jews at the time of Jesus Christ had an, a difficult understanding, a uh, difficult time understanding what Moses was really talking about when he wrote the Torah. That's uh, very clear. That if you if you had known Moses, you would have known Jesus Christ. And a lot of people did not understand what Jesus Christ was all about, and and in fact warred against Jesus Christ tried to destroy what Jesus Christ was uh, doing and warred against the early church, which was the people that Christ appointed his kingdom to. See, that's what he came that you might be saved. God sent his only begotten son that you might be saved. Jesus did his part, but you may not have done your part. You may not have repented. You may not be actually seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You may be engaged in covetous practices. You may be under a strong delusion. You may have returned to the mire. You may be a worker of iniquity while thinking that you're a Christian. Now, all those things may be true because they were prophesied by Christ and the apostles that this would all take place. That the whole world would even be deceived, even the very elect, except by the grace of God. Now the question is, are you one of those deceived? Are you one of those who have been fooled? And the more important question is, are you willing to repent? To see the truth about yourself and about the deceptions of the world and the deceptions of your generation and the generation that went before you. I mean, how many years has it taken to get to the point where the whole world would be deceived? You would have to do it a step-by-step process. It's not just like one single event. And so you have to accept certain ideas as true that just ain't so. And then they will add upon that lie with more and more deception. Once they... Once you've been steered off course just slightly, you know, if you're just a few degrees off course when you leave Los Angeles Harbor headed to Japan, you will not only miss Japan, you will miss Australia, you will miss Africa, you will miss the the entire European continent, and you will end up in the Atlantic. If you're just a few degrees off, because if you're just off a little bit, as time goes on, you get farther and farther away from your destination. 
So, the same in seeking the kingdom of God. If you've got a few things wrong, it can take you in a lot of different directions. And so you should always be forearmed, willing to question what you think you know to be true. Might not be so. And so anyway, when we look at Leviticus and uh, we start examining uh, the text, and, and I'm not going to necessarily read through every little line because of the fact that it's there. You can read through it uh, yourself. And it said, The Lord spoke to Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land uh, the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. So the land is supposed to keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. And then they, they proceed to explain that. So what is that? This particular chapter is what they often call the, the sabbatical and jubilee years uh, chapter. Because the word jubilee appears mostly in chapter 25. Uh, at least as we see it translated, because the word that they translate jubilee, it's not always translated jubilee. <laughs> and there's actually two completely different words that are translated jubilee in chapter 25. And they're both translated into the English jubilee. But they're completely different words. And we'll take a look at that before we're done. But uh, probably the most important thing in looking at uh, this old Leviticus chapter is to see how much you've been deceived. So I created a side panel on our Preparing You website that uh, has a number of live links that you can go to and see additional information to start putting these pieces of the puzzle together. Because I want to say some things that are controversial, to say the least, that most people are going to think are wrong, that are not true. Because it's different than what they already believe is true. And I understand that. That I am, I'm attacking your delusion. <laughs> that I'm, I'm pointing out that what you think is so just ain't so. And I, I shouldn't do that without offering you an alternative. Something to put in that place. Because, you know, when you, you, a lot of times what we believe is true, we believe is true so that we just don't go insane, so that we don't drown in this sea of knowledge that we live in. You know, what do you, what do you believe? You have to believe something is true. You have to have some sort of, you know, people say, well, I believe in the Bible. Well, so do 40,000 other denominations believe in the Bible, but they all have a different interpretation of what it says. And people who tell me that the Bible interprets itself, well, not really. It's people who, I mean, you can put all the Bibles in the world in one room and they won't interpret a darn thing. It's people reading the Bible that interpret it. And it's because they put values on words and phrases and they make assumptions as to what words mean and what was really going on. And if they're wrong anywhere, it can take them off course. And that wrong, that error can compound. Unless you think you're perfect, you can't read the Bible and know what's true. What the Bible does tell you is that God will write upon your heart and upon your mind. I don't want to write upon your heart and your mind. I want to bring you to the understanding that 
some of what you have previously accepted as true may be in error. You may have mistaken or accepted certain things as true that just ain't so. So anyway, one of the first things I say in, in the side panel note is people do not understand how the land keep a Sabbath uh, for the same reason they do not understand the Sabbath. And they don't understand the altars of clay and stone. Uh, nor even the Ten Commandments. They think of the Ten Commandments as the Ten Laws. And if those were actually laws, then you would have a series of penalties. You know, in the way we think of the word law today. You know, if you, if you, you know, I, I shared a, a number of cities and municipalities are trying to raise revenue by increasing the number of fees and fines that they impose upon the people. And one particular township is, it's being sued by a kind of a judicial watch group uh, because of the fact that they actually are criminally fining people because they have a crack in their driveway or they're criminally fining people because their curtains don't match in their house. <laughs> so, And they, what it, it turns out that they're, they're making about 20 4% of the revenue for the municipality in these fees and fines. And they just found out that they can make a lot of money doing this. And they, so they're, they're finding these people. Of course, now one of the, the wonderful things about this from their point of view, wonderful things, is that you find this person and they get all upset and nobody cares. Their neighbors don't care because I didn't get fined. And I don't want to say anything because they may find find me for something I didn't know. You know, maybe something I painted my house the wrong color trim or something. <laughs> We're not talking housing associations here. We're talking about actual municipalities. And, I mean, you actually, if you get this fine and you have to pay it, you can actually be put on probation after that. So, I mean, it's it's just, it's horrendous what they're doing but they're getting away with it because people don't care about what's happening to their neighbor they just don't want to be fine themselves and that america has taken that that what made america great was that people learned to care about one another they had to or they didn't survive they they had to care about one another and they they got this kind of collective American identity where you're, you're my neighbor because you're here, geographically speaking. And I have to care about you. And of course, there's always a certain amount of prejudice. You know, if you're in the South, certain people didn't like blacks. And if you're, you know, up in the Dakotas, certain people didn't like Indians. And, and so there's always, or, you know, maybe down in Texas, you didn't like Mexicans or, you know, you can always find some, or, you know, if you're in New York, you didn't like Irish, unless you were Irish, and then you didn't like somebody else. <laughs> English, maybe. And so, you can always find people that divide, but now people are so divided, to, you know, you don't live in my house. And actually, even families, and we'll take a look at this, families are divided. 
you know, and so the families are all broke down. And what made America great is that we cared about one another. We actually learned a little bit about what it meant to love thy neighbor as thyself. And see, Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself. That, that, that's Jesus quoting Moses when you, when you hear that phrase. But you wouldn't get that feeling that Moses, you, Moses supposedly was the servant of a vengeful God of the Old Testament. Well, that's based on our interpretation of the Old Testament. We don't really understand what the Old Testament is all about. I mean, if you think that God is made happy because you pile up stones and set sheep on fire, kill sheep and set their body, their carcasses on fire, and that makes God happy, you've got something to learn about the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament doesn't talk about that anywhere. And people at the time of Christ, one of the most popular religious groups at the time of Christ, understood and knew that the pharisaical view of animal sacrifice on piles of stone was a fiction and a fraud. They read Hebrew. They read the Old Testament. And they would have nothing to do with animal sacrifice because they didn't believe that the Old Testament was telling people to pile up stones and set sheep on fire. And But they spoke Hebrew. You can just read it in the text, right? Well, you you probably need to take a look at some of our other articles. (laughs) But we won't go there right now. Um, but we do have links to that, and I'm, I'm looking here to see if I... I know that you can get to some of our primary articles on that by going to some of the links on Altars of Clay and uh, uh, Clay and Stone or Altars. Anyway, so in case you missed that, <laughs> there are live links on the page where you can go and uh, and read about the Altars of Clay and Stone. And find out what they were really all about. Because they had nothing to do with piling up rocks, killing sheep, and setting them on fire. And that is one of the great deceptions that has come down. It was it was a great deception at the time of Jesus Christ. Although there were, like I say, large numbers of people who understood that such animal sacrifice was a fiction and a fraud. That's not what they were really telling you to do at all. Uh, And once you began to understand that that, and that's a big leap for a lot of people, but we go through in detail and show you that that's not what those altars were all about. Those altars were about systems of social welfare to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. The whole story of the Levites and the the Levitical priesthood was about service to the congregations of the people. And in Leviticus 25, and in Leviticus in general, they talk about things like tithing. And you tithe to your Levite minister of your choice according to his service. And you're gathered together in groups of ten. They, They understood those groups of ten. Before Jethro mentioned it. Jethro mentioned the groups of ten in relationship to settling disputes. 
but they already were organized by Joshua and they had been organized uh, centuries before uh, by Abraham and by others in these these groups of ten. You find this in, in lots of other texts. You know, the Greeks had the word symposia where you'd have this group. We have the, the word tithing. Tithing men were a group of ten men, ten families gathered together. The uh, Teutons did this. Uh, you know, Attila the Hun did this. They they had these groups of ten men gathered together. They would pick a minister or whatever you want to call them. And uh, he would gather together with ten like himself, nine others like himself. And you would network a whole nation together so that if you were attacked, that people could come together and defend themselves. If there was a fire, people could come together and fight the fire. One of the things in uh, our volunteer, we've had a volunteer fire department in this community for years and years, but now we've created a volunteer range fire um, system, uh, a rural fire uh, department. And uh, one of the things that they're having training this, this weekend again, for those who want to be certified, voluntary training, and uh, and they're they're getting donated vehicles and trailers and what have you together uh, to fight these fires, and uh, that come the range fires. And their job is not really to protect the buildings, but they will protect the buildings because it's part of the reason why you know their primary deal is to stop the range fire. And uh, we have a voluntary uh, fire department that can go and focus on buildings while these guys are trying to put out the range fires. But the the point is, is that it's all voluntary system of people taking care of the needs, not not putting taxes upon the people uh, and then making it a, a, a forced system. So... Nimrod had groups of ten, but he appointed those ten from the top down. Uh, the way Israel worked was the ten were created from the bottom up. The people organized themselves with the help of the Levites. The same thing went on in the early church. We see Christ commanding that his apostles make the people sit down in companies, they translate it, but again, the Greek word is symposia, in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100 to the tune of 1,000, 5,000 people. And this is what they did on Pentecost. Why were they doing this? This is, was because these people, following the commandment of Moses and the commandment of Christ, would love one another, take care of one another. The word love there is also translated charity according to what Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. And they will take care of one another in a voluntary system. All the taxes are voluntary. You're taxed yourself. That's why I say, people say, was tithing mandatory or was tithing voluntary? Well, it depends on what you mean by mandatory. God said, yeah, tithe. That was the commandment of God. Okay, what do you mean by mandatory today? 
if if you have in that one city if you don't have matching curtains they will fine you <laughs> you know in, in many uh, jurisdictions if you don't put a balcony around your uh, you, you know your rooftop or your you know a, a railing around your balcony that they can come in and fine you but in Israel there's no fine for not putting a railing around your rooftop or on your balcony. They don't fine you. But if someone were to go up there and fall off because you created this hazard, you invited somebody up to a balcony that had a railing that just gave away when you touched it, that's almost like a man trap. I mean, you if you dig a pit, if you create a dangerous situation and that that is not necessarily, you know, along the edge of a path. You know, you create, a, you dig a pit and somebody walks along and they fall into the pit that you dug right there because it's at night and they didn't see it and you didn't have it roped off. You can be held responsible. You don't, you're not fine before the fact. They're saying you have to take care of one another. You have to think about the needs of one another. You have to, you know, if you're going to invite people out on your balcony, you should have a rail there that isn't going to cause them to fall off right away. And if you if you create that hazardous situation and somebody gets hurt, you could be held responsible for them getting hurt. People read all these statutes of Moses as if they're some sort of checklist law. Moses wrote those statutes to help you understand the basics of the Ten Commandments. It's like, thou shalt not commit adultery. So, let me ask you this. If you, and I just heard recently, Baskin Robbins, what did they have, 23 flavors? I think they used to have 28, but then they ended up with 32 flavors, maybe, whatever it is, uh, of ice cream. One of the founders of Baskin Robbins, way back, decided that his ice cream was bad for you. To eat that much ice cream was bad for your health. And he walked away from the Baskin-Robbins fortune and went off and learned to eat healthy. <laughs> I think he moved to an island or something uh, with his family and and is now kind of a health nut trying to teach people how to eat right. Uh, so he saw there was a problem with what people were consuming. Well, there's a problem with what you're thinking. There's Adultery has to do with that as much as it has to do with sexual adultery. You're adulterating your body. You're adulterating the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. The Some of the things that you need to understand is, it, like we're talking, the Ten Commandments is is not just ten laws, but ten guideposts. They're trying to show you a way. They're trying to show you that, you know, I mean, people ask, well, what are the penalties in the Ten Commandments? If you break, violate the Ten Commandments, I shouldn't just say break, but if you you go against the spirit of the Ten Commandments, the, the penalty is built in. You know, thou shalt not jump off a cliff for thou shalt fall to the ground below. <laughs> That's basically what the Ten Commandments is all about. That if you go this way, bad things will happen. 
It's built in already. So if you adulterate your body, if you adulterate your marriage, if you adulterate your relationships with other people by bringing in elements that don't belong there, that you will suffer the consequences of that adulteration. Thou shalt not adulterate the purpose. You know, uh, the, uh, the whole thing with uh, uh, fornication, uh, which is uh, relationships outside of marriage, uh, uh, homosexuality, uh, which is a relationship outside of nature. It does, it's not, it, it defeats the purpose of sexuality, which is reproduction. Uh, all these things are adulterations. They come in many, many different forms and you could, you could have your, thou shalt not commit adultery and then underneath it you could put in an outline, you know, thou shalt not eat 32 flavors of Baskin Robin ice cream <laughs> in one day. Uh, because that's bad for you. It's unhealthy. It's adulterating your body. Now, you, that list could go on endlessly. You know, most of the pr- medical problems that people are suffering today comes from the fact that they are not eating the right foods. And they're not eating in the right way. And uh, they're feeding their tongues. You know, uh, sweet in the mouth, but sour in the belly. Uh, they're not taking care of that this physical temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given them. And it shows. I mean, depression. Uh, somebody was contacting me wanting to know about Reiki. Well, uh, Reiki, which is the Japanese laying on of hands. And they said, well, can that help? And I said, <laughs> you know, they're asking me this by way of somebody else. And I says, well, it depends on who's laying on of hands because the apostles were laying on of hands and people were being healed. Um, so, you know, how are they laying on of hands and who is doing it and why are they doing it? And what's the motivation? What's, what's the procedure? You know, uh, just slapping a Japanese word on the label doesn't make it necessarily a good thing. And then they asked, well, supposedly this person can give them a session over the phone. They don't even have to be there. Well, you know, I I think that you've probably got a better place to spend your money. Really what you want to do is take a look at your own heart and your own mind. Because the Ten Commandments, the altars of clay, the Sabbath, it's all about virtue, virtue and virtual practice, spiritual precepts that are expressed in these metaphors of altars of clay and stone. But people are always desiring to reduce those spiritual precepts concerning virtuous practices down to rules and laws and a checklist that can be uh, uh, itemized and enforced because they don't really have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a lot more free with what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be interacting with one another. That once you apply these spiritual principles, then the 
dance relationship with interacting with other people becomes entirely different. It, it, it becomes something of beauty. But if you reduce it down to this analyzed, analytical approach, which is what you do when you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to decide, well, let's see, in my checklist of bad things and good things, this falls in this checklist. And and we are to have the tree of knowledge, but that is not what is supposed to be the guiding force in our life. It is the tree of life, the Holy Spirit, that is to be the guiding force in our life. And so the those Ten Commandments are like ten signposts, and as well as all the other uh, Levitical rules and everything. They're trying to tell you principles by which you function. And we're going to show you that you're not functioning according to those principles. You're not functioning according to virtuous practices, but rather you're functioning according to covetous practices. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're loving yourself more than you love your neighbor. Because everybody on that street, when they heard that their nice lady neighbor was getting fined because there was a crack in her driveway, an immaculate, nice-looking, but it's a long driveway and there's a few cracks in it. It doesn't need to be replaced. It's, it doesn't look like a slum or anything. There's just some cracks in her driveway. If they were truly Christians on that block, they would stand against the city and they would all protest. You don't find this lady. She's a nice lady. She's hardworking. She's industrious. And those cracks are not a problem. And they might even get together and help fix the cracks. If she, you know, if she maybe she is having a little bit of a hard time. Maybe she's old. Maybe she had other expenses. Maybe she has health problems. She's been eating too much Baskin Robbins. <laughs> I, I don't know what their problem is. But the reality is, is I, I can tell you what the society's problem is. They don't care about her problem. They only care about it when it affects them. Because Christ is not in them. Oh, they may go to church. They may sing songs. They may tell you that they believe in Jesus. But they don't attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's what Christ says is the weightier matters. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Well, how is that? Is that justice? How is that mercy? If if they let that woman be fine because there's a few cracks in her driveway or somebody else fine because their drapes don't match. I can't remember some of the other just absolute ludicrous fines. They're just grasping at straw to find things wrong with people so that they can get money out of them. It's it's terribly corrupt. But people don't care about one another. And Leviticus is trying to tell you to watch out for this. To cry out. To say, wait a minute here. This is unfair. And there's so many misconceptions because of the fact that they approach this list as a checklist of laws and regulations. Very pharisaical. And they they don't understand the spiritual principles behind what Moses is trying to tell you. The same with the, you know, the railing around your balcony or digging a pit, creating a hazard. You don't understand justice and mercy, 
responsibility and rights. So that's why you don't have as many rights anymore than you, uh, than you used to have. You've gone away from the ways of Christ. You're not doing what Christ said. You're not doing, if you're Jewish, you're not doing what Moses said. You need to take another look at this. So, and not just through the tree of knowledge. Yeah, I'm using knowledge now to point out some of these problems. Let's take a look at the word jubilee. The word we see translated jubilee is yobel. Uh, it's actually composed of uh, a number of Hebrew letters. That that word, it's consisted of this, uh, the, the basic is lamad biet yad. Lamad is the word for hand, the letter for hand. Whenever you see that lamad, it has something to do with the hand in in the basic meanings of the Hebrew letters. Biet has something to do with house, household. Yad has something to do with the divine spark within us. The, the divine spark of God, inspiration of God within us. So, that's what you would think that that word means. That it has to do with this, uh, you know, the hand, the house, and the divine spark. The, the word is actually, uh, th- that particular word that is translated, jubilee, uh, is actually, uh, the the words ram's horn it's like a trumpet or a coronet they say you know, when you look up the translation but what's the horn and why did the israelites have these ram's horns all the time well they had ram's horns because they had a lot of sheep they were in sheep country and they had sheep that have these these horns and they they would blow these horns and it would make a noise and so we had this idea this picture of all the israelites Traveling across the desert in a single line or something from the movie Moses. The reality is those sheep had to eat grass every day. And they were spread out all over the place. So they were traveling. They were Israelites. They were bound together by these altars of stone, which were living stone. And and uh, altars of clay, which were living clay. That's people, Adama. And people would attack them. They would try to rob them. Uh, maybe maybe animals would come and try to eat their flocks. Uh, they had to help each other out. Well, how did you know that somebody needed help? Ram's horn. They'd blow the horn and you had to come. So w- when the building inspector shows up to give that woman a fine for cracks in her driveway, or the code enforcement inspector comes, She should be able to go out there and blow her ram's horn and all the neighbors on her block come over there and say, what are you doing to this nice lady? Guess what? He'll leave. (laughs) But nobody will come anymore. You can blow the ram's horn and they'll just think you're a wacko. (laughs) And I'm not actually saying everybody has to blow the ram's horn. What I'm saying is that this is the principle of the things that you love your neighbor. You actually show up for your neighbor. You care about your neighbor. You've forgotten that. I, I keep remembering while I'm talking, I, I flashing on, uh, the guys who came over here early in, in America, they were, they came over for a lot of different reasons. And uh, the harshness of, uh, of the American wilderness, uh, caused them to rethink some of the things that they thought before. <laughs> 
And there was a group that came over in this little rowboat. I mean, literally like a rowboat. It was this open boat, no cabin or nothing. And it was the Sparrow. And, and they still have parts of that boat now in a museum. And it was just a little tiny. And they they came over. This was an early, early, early settlers came over. And they were starving to death in no time. And the Indians were like walking around and just waiting for them to die and steal their shoes and everything else they had. And uh, somebody made it, headed, they knew there was another settlement to the south and they headed south to uh, Plymouth. And they came across a guy in the woods, or a couple guys in the woods. And uh, and they sent somebody back for help and another guy went there right away and they gathered these guys up and, they, I mean, they couldn't even stand. They were in such bad way. And... Uh, they gathered them up and fed them and took their stuff back and housed them and they got them back on their feet and started teaching them how to take care of themselves in this wilderness. Uh, otherwise, the Indians were just going to clump them in the head once they dropped dead and steal everything they had. And uh, and there were good Indians and there were bad Indians and there were good uh, European settlers and there were bad European settlers and that's, that's the difference. is not... Not the color of your clothes or the uh, the print of your Bible, but how you actually relate to one another. There, there's other words that are translated into Jubilee as well, and uh, more commonly maybe, um, but they're also translated into the word shout or to cry out. Uh, and... Uh, We'll take a look at some of those words as as we go through the text here, because you've got two completely different words that are translated into jubilee. And from what I see from reading the text in the original Hebrew, that what they're they're not talking about some event. They talk about seven years. That's that's another thing. Okay, you you sell your land for seven years to somebody, and then, well, what what it is is you're actually loaning your land to somebody in order to to get like almost a rent payment back for seven years, and then the land reverts back to you. You could sell your land out completely. Somebody pointed that out, and they said, well, they did. The the Israelites didn't really own their land because they couldn't sell their land. Well, they could sell their land. And they did sell their land. And here, I'll give you another little hint. Israel is not that geographical location over there in the Middle East. That's not Israel. Israel is wherever men who have the faith of Abraham walk. Wherever they put their foot, that's Israel. Now, historically speaking, there was a lot of Israelized stuff that came down to us through history that took place in that particular geographical area. But Israel is any place where God's way prevails. It's not a geographical location. It's a way. It's a principle. It's a spiritual principle that must first be written in your heart and then written in your actions. And when I point out to the fact that, you know, somebody is, uh, you know, being robbed by a government agency that is using its power to tax 
uh, 24% of its revenue by fining little old ladies with a crack in their driveway. And you don't do anything about it. And I can give you, I can give you hundreds and hundreds of examples of how the courts have robbed people. Judges have robbed people of their land through, through the courts because they know how it works and got away with it. While everybody in town, I mean, just clear robbery. Everybody in town was going to church and, and, and praising Jesus while their neighbor was being robbed by the courts and nobody showed up. I, I went on court watch for years and years. I would show up and it, it's, it's a 200 mile round trip for me to go to a courthouse. That was a big expense to go there and show up when somebody was being mistreated in the courts. And they, one guy in particular, I remember we, I went down there time and time again, and then you get there, and there would be like 20, 30 people show up to be there at his trial, because he was getting run through the ringer, and we'd all get in there, and they would postpone it to another day. So then we'd all come back on another day. But you know, the second time we came back, there wasn't quite as many people. Finally, when they had the trial the third time, it was myself, my daughter, and one other guy. (laughs) Oh, Woody Webb, he showed up. Nobody else showed up. They had the trial. They convicted him on evidence that was never submitted in court. (laughs) That the uh, defending attorney said he never saw... And the judge said that he, he was convicted based on that evidence, and um, it was it was a hearing to send him back to jail for something he never did. It was, it's a long story, but total travesty of justice. And people didn't show up time and time again. But they then when they did show up, then they just postponed it until nobody showed up, and then they could send him away. But I learned a lot through this experience. And mostly what I learned is most of you do not care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And most of you should be under tribute because you're slothful in the ways of God. And uh, you should be in stuck in the mire and back in bondage of Egypt. And that's where you're at. And, the, and it's worse for you than it was in Egypt. In Egypt, you only had to pay 20%, you know, one-fifth of your labor belonged to the government. You had to work one-fifth of the year for the government. And that was the bondage of Egypt. You didn't own your land. Egypt owned the land. You didn't own it. But you were serfs upon it. And they could get away with that for a while, but through Crafts Estate, the burden got greater and greater and greater. And there wasn't anything you could do about it, except you had to turn around and think a different way. You had to start caring about one another. In order for God to teach you how to care about one another... He sent the plagues. He First, he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh so that Pharaoh was not going to let you go when Moses came to take the people that belonged to him. He said, you can have the throne. You can have Egypt. You can have all the aqueducts and and, uh, and uh, the system that has been built up here. And, and I just give me the people and I'll go with the people. Kind of like Abraham. I, I'm not going to even take a buckle. I don't want any of this stuff. You can have all this stuff. But the people are free to choose. And many of the people chose to go with Moses. Egyptians even chose to go with Moses. And by the time the plagues were over, the people were blessing the Israelites 
with gold and silver because they were a greater help than the government was during those plagues. Yeah, but you don't you don't read it that way because your ministers are telling you something else. But that's that's what they were doing. They were learning how to care for one another. This whole thing of Jubilee and the Sabbath. You care about the land. You care about one another. You care about the ownership of your neighbor. If he falls on hard times and he has to sell his property for seven years, then he should get it back at the end of seven years. If he's still on hard times, uh, it goes on. But eventually you, you try to get the land back to that family. And here's what I was going to say about the family. You didn't, you don't, you have to not only love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love your neighbor's children as yourself. The same as you have to love your children and your children's children before they're even born. So when you own land as an Israelite, not just in Israel, anywhere, as a, as a follower of God, as a, as a person where God prevails in your heart, you have to care about your children. You don't just sell your land so that you can, or sell your labor or sell whatever so you can get free stuff now. You have to care about the next generation, even before it's born. Today, we look out in the world, they not only don't care about the next generation and they curse their children with debt because they want benefits today, they actually don't even want their children to live. They're aborting them by tens of thousands of children on a regular basis. They just passed a law in uh, Ireland where abortion is now legal. It was illegal before. And the women are all cheering because now we get to kill our babies instead of produce the next generation. And you think you're Christians? You think you're Followers of Christ? No. How can you get to that point? Well, you've gotten to that point. Or people have gotten to that point. And you may say, well, I'm against abortion. But are you... Somebody said that, you know, that talking about... Was tithing mandatory? Well, it was mandatory from the point of view of God. But the Levites couldn't come in and kick in your door and force you to contribute. That they they couldn't fine you if you didn't and, and increase the fees of tithing because you didn't send it in. It was a voluntary system and you tithed to them according to their service. That's what it says. But you had the choice who to tithe to, when to tithe to, how much to tithe to. But if you didn't do that, something else was going to happen. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this idea of tithing and Sabbaths and keeping the Sabbath on the land and and what what is this really all talking about and how does that work and relate to our modern society? Well, in our modern society, we, we have returned to the bondage of Egypt. Uh, we don't own our land anymore. And I'm, I'm saying that. I'm not going to go into the detailed explanation, but you can go to the website and look that up. As the fact is, the legal title does not include ownership. It is an apparent ownership that carries with it no beneficial interest. And the beneficial interest is whom the law considers to be the true owner of the property. 
and you don't have that. You you only have legal title. You you're not the true owner of the property. And the evidence of that is that there is a use tax placed on your property called property tax that you have to pay in order to keep using. You bought the right to pay that tax. <laughs> That's what you bought. You don't. Have, and now, if you want to build anything on your on your land or do anything with it, or you have to, you're answerable to the people who collect the tax. You're answerable to the community uh, through the government, because the community doesn't really own it. Because now all of that land has been used as collateral, so that your government can borrow money against the future of your children. So you're not only in bondage worse than you were in ancient times, you're you're now you're you're completely no way out. You can't escape, you can't pay off the debt. And and unless you had a year of Jubilee, uh you're you're not going to get out of the debt that where they have to suddenly forgive all the debt. Well, they're not going to forgive the debt. And the reason why is because you will not forgive the debt. I mean, how many people do I know that it, when you explain to them that Social Security is bankrupt, it was bankrupt when it was created. People, Somebody sent some post recently and said uh, that uh, Social Security is going to run out of money. Social Security is out of money. It's been out of money from the beginning. It was instituted because... They were out of money. <laughs> they were out of assets. They, The Federal Reserve would not loan any more money into circulation because you were out of assets. And you had to put more assets on the chopping block. And somebody had devised this system. And they brought it to FDR. And FDR got it passed. Because people were in a desperate way. They thought, well, maybe this is the solution. Well, it wasn't. But, of course, way back when the Constitution was written up, people thought that was the solution. Not the general population. The Constitution was never put to a vote of the general population because it didn't have anything to do with the general population. It had to do with the states. We, the people of the United States, that that, that included all the people whose names were at the bottom of the document. They were the people of the United States because they were creating this document. That's what they were doing. It didn't include the, the citizens of the United States. It didn't, it didn't include the citizens of the individual states. <laughs> so anyway, I'm was, I was just saying that the, the Constitution of the United States was not popular amongst the people. It would have been voted down at the time. And the, the reason uh, why it wasn't so popular is they feared that the federal government would get too much power. It would become centralized and too controlling of the lives of the people. They feared that big government concept. And they were they knew how to take care of one another in the community and if the nation was attacked they could come to the defense because each community was strong. But uh, so so their fears were justified because everything that they feared has actually taken place. Because the Constitution of the United States is not a biblical document. If, I mean, because you don't understand 
the altars of clay and stone, because you don't understand the Sabbath, because you don't understand the Jubilee, it, you also don't understand Deuteronomy 17, which goes through five things that you're supposed to put in the Constitution if you're going to elect men who can exercise authority, that central power, you know, like a king or a president or or even a congress. If you're going to have lawmakers that are not just representing you, but actually passing laws that you're going to have to obey, you need to write five things down and read it to them every day. And this is covered in Deuteronomy 17. Of those five things, only one is found in the Constitution of the United States, and that's pretty much ignored today. And nobody even understands why it's there or where it came from. So, and now, again, people say, well, I, I can't believe that. That's ridiculous. Well, Rita, we go through all five items step by step. We show show you how those are not in the Constitution. And we also show you what's in the Constitution, which allows you to break the Ten Commandments on a regular basis which is, thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. But it says you can in the Constitution. Of course you can, but you can't with impunity. If you make those agreements, you'll end up back into the bondage of Egypt, especially if you make agreements with a covetous heart, desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. So the jubilee, the shout that you need to start making and which we do here on a regular basis is that you need to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness which means a government that operates by voluntarism that is moving from the spirit of caring about one another as much as you care about yourself people say well that's impossible we who nobody cares about me as much as I care about me <laughs> well you know that that works two ways you you need to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. But people who care about themselves more than they care about their neighbor wants their neighbor to care about them more. <laughs> because, see, it's a two-way thing. You have to you have to be willing to sacrifice for your neighbor. Not just those you see, but those you don't. You have to be willing to cast your bread upon the waters. The, the jubilee is an enforced uh, concept in your hearts and in your minds. Where you, act, see, if everybody was not going to the government for these benefits that are only provided by borrowing against the future of your children, which curses your children and makes you merchandise, which the New Testament, see, now people say, well, I'm talking the Old Testament. Let's talk the New Testament. It said through covetous practices, you would be made merchandise and that you would curse your children. That's a done deal. You don't own your labor. You don't own your land. You don't even own your children. And, and when I look out in the world, I mean, I just just in the last week, come across a woman who's, uh, two different women who's had six children. One of them is actually pregnant again. One of them never had a, a single child by the same man. I mean, more than one child by the same man. 
The other woman is very proud of the fact that she actually had two children by the same man. <laughs> the other kids are all by other. And, and they've been taken away from them. Some of them have been adopted out. And the other one, is he's got one year to get her act together with her live-in boyfriend, get her act together, so that she can um, get custody of her children back. And why does she want custody of her children? Well, she says she wants to take care of them and all this stuff. But really, she's going to get a bigger check. If she loses custody of those children, she's not going to get the big check for six a woman with six children. She's going to get a lot less. You know, and, and it's even, if I, we see it in foster care. We deal with people that are supposedly foster parents. Do a terrible job. Don't feed the kids right. They don't clean them right. They don't clean up the house right. Social worker comes in and files a complaint. They clean it all up. They take pictures. They get a court-appointed attorney who goes in there. And the fact is the judge is liable to give the kids back to them. Even though that is well known that they'll go back to the same ways again. There was just a shooting the other day, uh, accidental shooting where a boy killed another boy, a friend, accidentally by a gun misfiring and going off and killed them. And everybody's, you know, heartbroken about it. Terrible accident. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, most killings today in America are done by gangs and, and drug uh, operations, you know, gang drug operations. They're not done, they're not these accidental shootings. And, and many crimes are stopped every day by the fact that people have a right to own guns. But they're dangerous. And you have to, you know, I know people shot themselves, shot their kid, uh, just because it is a dangerous item. But, I mean, people have been hurt by lawnmowers. Uh, people are certainly hurt by cars and automobiles all the time. Killed, maimed, uh, because cars are dangerous. Lots of things are dangerous. And you have to be careful. But the reality is power is dangerous. And you're, you relinquish your right to choose, the power to choose, your exousia to other people, and it corrupts them, and then they abuse you. And they abuse your neighbor. You want to change that. You have to start coming together. And caring about your neighbor. And your neighbor's rights. And your neighbor's children. And your children. And society is doing everything it can. So you don't have to care about. Don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. Uh, they, this What it was announced. Is that anybody who knew. One of these kids. Can now get a counselor will come and counsel them. They'll they'll meet at the local school and they'll counsel them. And this is all done by a state counselor. A government counselor is paid for by tax dollars. That used to be done by the church. All social welfare used to be taken in this country. You know, 120 years ago was taken care of, which is what, two generations ago was taken care of by the church and your neighbor. It wasn't taken care of by government. Even even public school wasn't like public schools today. Like I, I said in a recent program, we discussed this, uh, 
the Boston Latin School. First public school in, in America. It's in Massachusetts. It was entirely funded by donations and tuitions. There was no tax dollars. But it was a public school. We say public I was explaining this to somebody and he says, well, it was a public school. It had to be supported by tax dollars. No, no. Public schools were not originally supported by tax dollars. They were supported by free will contributions. Still a public school. And I gave the example of Yale, Harvard, all those colleges. Anybody could go to them without a student loan. If you didn't have the money to pay the tuition, they would not turn you away. It was in their charters. If you could keep up the grades, you had to keep up the grades, but you could go. It was it was a different spirit back then. It wasn't about what you could get. It was about what you could share and help others and cast your bread upon the water so that in hopes, and that of course went on for years, is that the, the Harvard graduates and the Yale graduates were the alumni and they were successful and they contributed to the university so that it could educate the next generation at no expense, if necessary. If they could afford it, they would pay the tuition. If they couldn't afford it, they could go to school anyway. No student loans following you for decades. But we've got a better idea now, right? We've changed a lot of our ideas. And part of it is because we have a more pharisaical view of the Bible than even the Pharisees. <laughs> so, we need to understand that the the Jubilee was part of the weightier matters. Caring about your neighbors. You don't want to put your neighbor into bondage. Public school today is supported by use taxes upon the land of your neighbor. If your neighbor has no children going to school, he still has to pay into your child's education. Well, there's no spirit of jubilee in you. You say, well, I'm forced to pay. I should be able to take the benefit. But everything is, you know, I mean, your money is debt notes. There, There is no money. And what more important is you don't know how to take care of one another. The homeschooling revolution is amazing. People are learning how to educate their children at home. And a lot of the homeschoolers are gathering together in co-ops and, and you know, forming almost like a public school co-op <laughs> of homeschoolers because they share uh, curriculums, they share ideas, they share experiences, and they learn how to do a better and better job. And for the most part, the kids score way higher than the kids going to school. And in some cases, the kids are learning things that they're not allowed to learn in school. The problem is, this has been going on for generations. Even the school books, even the homeschooling school books. I mean, like some of the curriculums, the Robinson curriculum causes you to go back and read books that were written a long time ago because they have this big long list of reading books. And some of those predate uh, what the Reese Commission discovered that in 1908, a number of philanthropic organizations gathered together to change the way in which Americans viewed history. Well, by going back and reading some of those older books, you get a different view of history. Well, I'm giving you a different view of the Bible, of Leviticus. That these are spiritual principles. 
I mean, like I said, there there are two words that are translated into Jubilee. And they are composed of different letters. You know, there's one word, Resh Vav Hey. The, this is, this is actually, and it actually has two forms. And they're both translated shout. And the other is Tob Resh Vav Ayan Hey. Well, the base root word Resh Vav Hey, Resh has to do with authority. You're, you're a power to make a choice. Uh, the potestas of your ability to make a free will choice. Uh, vav and hey are, vav is a connecting word and hey has to do with that, uh, it kind of emphasizes that word, but it means shout. You know, like stop! <laughs> if you, if you yell stop, that would be a shout saying to take this action, stop. And I'm emphasizing it because I'm shouting it. It's important. Stop. And, um, but the other word that we see translated jubilee is this tav, resh, ian, hey. Well, the tav is the letter of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God? The faith of God? And so, when you start the word with tav, the shout is different. It's not just a shout. It's a shout with a certain spiritual value to it. And so that, you know, and, and like I said, the other word that is also translated into Jubilee, it has to do with Lamad, be it, hand, house, and divine spark. And they actually add letters to that as well, but uh, which add to the meaning of it. But you don't see that in these translations because the people who are translated from the Masoretic text, from the Pharisees, are not really, exp- and your your local ministers are not really explaining that Moses and Jesus had the exact same message, which was to love thy neighbor as thyself. And to support that love by free will offerings, Jesus called it charity, or actually he called it love. And Paul, when he says the same word, they translate it charity. And in the Old Testament, it's words like Corban, which means sacrifice, and uh, and uh, and free will offering. And they were a nation entirely supported, not with property tax, not with fines, uh, not with usury. And not with a, a tribute tax upon you, but by tithings, which were given to the Levites according to their service. No service, no tithing. You needed to tithe to somebody, according to God. No no man is going to come and arrest you or fine you or throw you into jail in the kingdom of God because you don't tithe. But also the benefits will not be there because you did not cast your bread upon the waters and so therefore it will not come back to you. You did not cast your bread upon the waters in faith, Tav. And so therefore it will not come back to you. So what you have to do is you have to start repenting, thinking a different way. Start gathering together as Christ commanded. Christ commanded that you gather together. You sit down in uh, uh, symposia in companies of ten in ranks of 50, in ranks of 100, and then you'll see the loaves and fishes. 
Then you'll see the blessings of the Jubilee coming to you. If you won't do that, and you won't cast your bread upon the waters, and you won't tithe to those who are actually trying to serve you in the kingdom of God and His righteousness in that way of voluntarism, then you will remain you you will remain slothful, and therefore you will remain under tribute, and you should not be free. So some of the things that came up when I was this all came about because of an original question that was uh, brought up. It says that uh, people debate about whether uh, tithing was mandatory. Perhaps the better question then is, was Jubilee mandatory? Well, if you're going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the spirit of Jubilee is mandatory. It's just built into the system. If you're going to truly seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, tithing is mandatory. But who you tithe to, that's your choice. When you tithe, that's your choice. How much you tithe to this individual or that individual, that's your choice. You can, you can, you can give half of everything you have if you want. Or in the case of the widow lady who gave a mite, she gave everything she had. But it's, it's that choice that's in your hands. So when you read, uh, Leviticus, you have to take these things into consideration is that they're talking about a way. Uh, it's not if you say, Lord, Lord, but if you are actually doing the will of the Father. Are, is what you're doing expressing the love of thy neighbor? If, if you're one of these guys, you know, I always remember hearing the story when I was a kid of somebody was being stabbed. I think they were stabbed 23 times. A girl was stabbed by her boyfriend, her loving boyfriend, 23 times. I'm, I'm shocked at the women who get mixed up with guys that everybody around can see this guy's a jerk. He's a user loser, uh, uh, a boozer, <laughs> drug addict. And you, you have this loyalty to him. What in the world? Where does that come from? And then he ends up, you know, like uh, recently there was a woman who was killed and they finally found her body and, and, and it was killed by her boyfriend who went out and buried her body in a shallow grave wrapped in plastic. And then he was arrested. They hadn't found the body yet, but then he committed suicide when he, it's this self-destructing spirit because it's the spirit of selfishness where people care about themselves more than they care about others. So yeah, they can, this is your boyfriend. He cares about himself more than he cares about you and he'll kill you. He'll beat you. He'll abuse you. And to tell you the truth, that spirit must be in her. She, she doesn't, what, what is drawing these two people together? You know, that again, back to the word Corbin, which means sacrifice. The Corbin of the Pharisee, the sacrifice of the Pharisee, the taxation of the Pharisee of their people in these social welfare schemes that force the contributions of the people makes the word of God to none effect because it takes away your ecstasy, your right to choose. If you're going to be the government, you get to choose who you're going to support in that government. You know, who's actually doing the job. 
Not doing the job, you don't support them. Doing the job, you support them. But that's your choice. Now, if you want to see the government, if you want to seek the government of God, you have to support that government. That means you may have to look real hard to find people who are trying to bring that government about in their own lives as much as they want to bring it by in the lives of their neighbor. They they have to care about your right to choose as much as you care about your own right to choose. About as much as they care about their own right to choose. They have to, they have to extend, and if this is why you should be homeschooling, you should be dealing with home health. You know, why ministers should be, uh, doing as much work every day so that they're not a burden to their congregation. So that they're giving of themselves to others. They, you know, this is why Paul made tents. Paul and uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila made tents so that they would not be a burden. They could eat at the altar. They were certainly doing the work. They were taking funds to the needy all over the Roman Empire. But they were actually still trying to be self-supporting and not dependent upon the other people. Today, the churches are in the entertainment business. We have to think a different way. We have to turn around and go another way. And that is the way of Christ. We'll be back. So, since I've been talking about all the bad things (laughs) uh, that we are doing and have been doing and how we've been deceived and and fooled about um, what the Bible was really talking about, this whole system of righteousness and taking care of one another in righteousness. What What is the solution? Is there any hope? Is there any spirit that can actually lead us out of this? And of course there is. But we need to understand what that looks like uh, in our own day-to-day lives. And, I'm, you know, we have... Uh, Tuesdays we've been going through the Free Church Report and we've been explaining a great deal of things about how that early church operated and why it did certain things that it did and uh, what it was doing when it was uh, functioning in the world but not of the world and uh, why they were accused of like robbing the temple of Ephesus. We we did three, four uh, hours now of studies uh, covering that in the Free Church Report because that's, that's a major... Uh, springboard to understanding that the Christianity was a lot more than going to church on Sunday. When And I was talking to somebody who was actually in a network and who uh, um, is uh, in a congregation, uh, you know, a congregation that we recognize exists, but it's poorly organized, poorly functioning, it's not really understanding, it's, it's floundering around, but we have hope. And we're willing to work with them. But after spending four weeks talking about this subject, written numerous articles that the Temple at Ephesus was literally a world bank of the Roman Empire, uh, built by 127 different countries, and had the most secure vault in all the Mediterranean, was minting and even counterfeiting, (laughs) 
coins of value uh, because it, it's a form of counterfeiting when they were reducing the amount of gold that was in a gold coin and uh, secretly doing this through a process that required a great deal of bone ash. And, uh, and this, this is a matter of historical record that that's what was going on at the time. And uh, cause, because the corruption had come in over the last several hundred years, we see, we, we, we chronologically show this corruption creeping in way back as early as uh, Polybius, 150 A.D. And how that corruption not only took place in government, but in the very people themselves. Polybius saw this, that the people themselves were being corrupted by these systems of social welfare. That literally, he didn't use this word, making the word of God in effect. That's what uh, we see Jesus using. That through this system of social welfare, this Corbin, they were causing the people to do no more ought for their parents, which is part of that Ten Commandments, to to honor thy father and thy mother. And that word honor there is the same word for fatten. To fatten thy mother and thy father. What, well, are you supposed to feed them lots of Baskin-Robin ice cream? <laughs> no, it has to do with taking care of them and prospering them. And, of course, you will inherit what they prosper. But now in our modern society, they have inheritance tax. So that even if you make your parents prosper, you're not going to get the benefit of it. Everything is reversed. Everything is upside down. It's upside down already. You have to think about these things differently. But anyway, the, uh, uh, going back to these, uh, the, the way the Corbin of Christ draws you closer to understanding what Christ was really all about. If you go to church to feel good, then you're not going to get this because you're going to get feel-good ministers that make you feel good, that will add to your deception. So, but to tell you the truth, I see the spirit of the kingdom is still out there. You the, the rocks, the stones, the living stones will cry out. And and I came across, uh, or heard about anyway, a uh, a system called Be My Eyes. And it's a software. Uh, it's uh, com. You can go there and find out. And it's a software you can download. And what it is, is people that are vision impaired or blind, they can have a cell phone. And if they need somebody to look at something for them, they can call for assistance just by touching the screen. And then they take the camera that's on the phone and they show um, people the um, what it is they need looking at. And, and the uh, uh, volunteers will log on when they ask for a volunteer and they'll they'll look at the picture and they'll tell them what they're looking at. And so it's called Be My Eyes. And it's just a software. And it's people volunteering to help other people they don't even know see something that they cannot see for themselves. Well, now, when we look out in society, there's an awful lot people don't see. You know, and I've, I pointed out some of this stuff that... Uh, they think that God wanted Israelites to pile up stones, dead stones, uh, 
slit the throat of sheep or bullocks and set them on fire. If you go look at our article on sophistry, we go through step by step and, and I'm working on expanding that in even greater detail, but there's enough detail there that it should cause you to question, especially when you understand that the Essenes at that time, and the Essenes had many of the ideas already in existence hundreds of years before Christ that we hear Christ preaching, not taking oaths, uh, you know, uh, you know, that they believed in using, uh, these aromatic oils that are becoming more popular today, you know, like Young's and a number of other people manufacture these uh, aromatic oils. And supposedly those came out of, with the Israelites, they brought them out of Egypt and they, they used them and they have, uh, value in taking care of that living temple of the Holy Spirit you call your body. And so anyway, uh, they were using, uh, those oils, but the Essenes would not use the oils on themselves a lot of times. They would be carriers of the oils, but they would save them rather than use them on themselves. For medicinal purposes, they would save them because they were expensive and use them on other people. And we even see where when the the woman, who we don't understand that scene, but we see this woman coming in and anointing the feet of Jesus, washing them with her tears, drying them with her hair, and anointing uh, his feet supposedly with this oil, although Jesus says, keep it, save it for my burial. And so you might think that that woman was at his burial. <laughs> Which gives you a hint as to who that woman is. And and she really wasn't a prostitute, but something else entirely. But anyway, that's another whole story that uh, I don't want to get you climbing up in your tree of knowledge. The the point was is that Judas Iscariot said we could have sold that oil and given money to the poor, you know, and aid to the poor, which was what the church was doing, taking care of the the needy of society. There was a lot of money flowing through the apostles' hands on a regular basis. Some of the richest people in Judea at that time were supporting Christ's ministry. You know, the the wife of Chusa, who was the treasurer of Herod himself, was supporting Christ's ministry. It appears that uh, Pontius Pilate's wife was supporting Christ's ministry, giving to his ministry. Why? Because he, he was doing what John the Baptist was doing, because everybody had a system of welfare. There was a system of welfare set up by Herod. There had been those systems set up before, but the Herod system, you signed up, and you had to pay in. There were actually guys that came by and even counted the branches of the Cummins in your window box. Because they knew they were going to get a percentage of that. And they had reduced these spiritual precepts that are talked about in Leviticus down to rules. And then they analyzed the rules. And then they said, oh, you have to do this and you have to do that. What you have to do is let the Holy Spirit into you and start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And then you won't be coveting the comings branches in his window box. But this is what, uh, you know, Judas Iscariot was still doing that, coveting that oil. 
that was meant for Christ's burial. He didn't understand. He was still thinking, you know, high and mighty proud operator of this social welfare system being set up by Christ, but not understanding its spirit. The same as people don't understand the spirit of tithing, the spirit of the jubilee, caring about your neighbor, caring about your neighbor's rights, caring about your neighbor's children, and being willing to cast your bread upon the waters and help out those who are seeking the kingdom of God so that they can seek that righteousness of God. It's going to take sacrifice. Your your fathers and your fathers before them have sold you into bondage to get benefits for today, for their day. Now you must sacrifice yourself to move in the other direction towards the kingdom. Volunteer. Sharing, contributing, casting your bread upon the waters. Uh, gathering together, sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded. Contributing on a regular basis. You get to choose who. And and if they're not doing a good job, stop giving to them. That's why I was amazed that we'd been talking for weeks about Ephesus being this bank. And and remember, the, the apostles were accused of robbing that bank. Well, they weren't breaking into the vault. They were creating a system that did not depend upon that social welfare system. That's what you need to do is be creating a system not dependent upon public school, not dependent upon public welfare, not dependent upon Social Security. And that means that every day you have to look at how can I sit down and gather and care for one another. And if you're not doing that, if you're not working in that direction, sacrificing in that direction, then when things fall apart, nobody will be there for you. Because you, you've you stepped outside of grace. you ste- stepped outside of the ways of grace. You said, Lord, Lord, but you did not do the will of the Father, which was to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Which means you have to seek a way to take care of one another righteously. Not through force, not through violence, not through covetous practices, but through charity and hope and faith in the perfect law of liberty. Now, there is no aspect of your life you cannot start moving in that direction. Yeah, public school... Maybe you need to get your kids out of public school. I say maybe because maybe God wants you there. Maybe you can start in another area. You have to pray about it. And this is what we're going to probably talk about in in, uh, one of our up-and-coming shows, if I can put it all together. I've actually got it outlined and had it outlined on uh, on our websites for quite some time. But uh, I'm, I'm going to start filling in the blanks a little bit. I, that's why I put a lot of things out there so that people can see them and understand them and and take a look at them and ponder them. But if they really want to understand them more, then I'm going to talk about some of the 
what what some of these things actually mean when you translate them into action. But there's a danger in that because then you can start trying to emulate what it is that we're supposed to be doing. I'm only telling you what it looks like so that you can say, well, geez, that doesn't look like what I'm doing. I need to... Because this is an individual... Salvation is an individual thing. There's no collective salvation. You can't get in a group and because there's a lot of really good people in that group, you're going to be saved. It doesn't work that way. It's an individual journey that you have to take yourself. And so I'm going to share with you as long as God allows me to be here. I'm going to keep sharing different things that I, you know, that I, I've been given insight into. And we're going to, and what I'm doing is I'm putting together several more books that I'm going to be adding to our list. All our books are free online. Uh, they, they won't do you any good unless you actually repent. But you can take a look at them and maybe they will help you move in the direction of repentance by, because I'm always controversial. I'm always upsetting the apple cart because when you upset the apple cart and the apples roll out there on the ground, you can say, oh my gosh, it was a rotten one in the middle that was destroying apple after apple because that one rotten apple is destroying the whole bunch. But by laying them out, you can see which ones are uh, are rotten, that are leading you the wrong way or ruining all the fruit that you produce. I mean, it's it's astounding when you look back in history to see just a hundred years ago, World War One. they needed ambulances. I've told this story, but there was a lot of other things. But they needed ambulances. They were all purchased and the drivers were paid by voluntary contributions, not by the government. The ambulances for the soldiers on the front line were provided by private contributions. You you could you could be starting, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not against starting a scholastic thing called a school. It should be centered around homeschooling precepts, but because of the fact that a lot of parents don't understand homeschooling I think, you know, this is what I used to, they offered me a, a teaching position and, uh, uh, or asked me to come to uh, a private school to teach in Western Oregon. And I said, the problem isn't the children, the problem is the parents. You send me the parents and you won't need to send your kids to school. <laughs> but, but, uh, you have to have parents that are willing to learn. And the fact is, is we've been dumbed down as parents. We don't know how to be parents. But you learn by doing. And so homeschooling is a really important thing. Home health is a really important thing. There's so many better solutions to illnesses today uh, that are not offered by public medicine that uh, that you could find out. And when you sit down in that network, there will be knowledgeable people that will share that information with you. But more important than the information itself is the spirit of caring about one another. Because that's why you need to sit down. It's not so that you learn the secret, secret, secret formula. But that your your spirit begin to touch one another. You begin to uh, rebuke one another by your mere presence. 
by your pattern of forgiveness, by your pattern of long-suffering, by your pattern of sacrifice. And so, therefore, I encourage everybody to join the network. Uh, we have an email network. You join based on geography. So, if you've joined uh, on a group, say, like in Colorado, you should post to that group and say, I want to form a congregation in Colorado. I want to get together with other people in Colorado. Now, you're going to get different kinds of people. And some of them are not really seeking the kingdom. But it doesn't matter. You're seeking the kingdom. And so you're going to gather with other people at least say they're seeking the kingdom. It's a free assembly. It's not forcing anybody. uh, You're not in a corporation. You're just in a free assembly. And you call each other if you're too far away to meet. Occasionally you meet one another and try to encourage one another. If you have questions... You should be able to ask your minister and your minister will pass that question on and somebody in the network will have an answer. But in asking the question, you're asking the question not just so that you will know, but you're sharing that question with other people in other congregations. And people will say, yeah, I wondered about that, but I didn't take the time to ask it. (laughs) I didn't have the courage to ask it. I wasn't ready to ask it. I appreciate your question. So what is the answer? And it goes around and somebody comes up with something that causes you to think and maybe it, and you say, oh, well that makes sense. I kind of knew that, but you needed somebody else to voice it. And what, when everybody begins to share these questions and answers, what you're actually doing then is creating that jubilee. Remember that word jubilee is shout. You're you're beginning to speak in one accord. But you should do it geographically. You're not shopping for the right fit. You're not trying to fit in with other people. You're trying to fit in with Christ. Christ rebuked his apostles. He scolded his apostles. He pointed out that you're going to deny me. You're a doubter. You know, uh, you of little faith. He gave them a hard time. But he stuck with them and they stuck with him. You are the ones that stuck with me. And they said, where else would we go? So you tell me where else you would go. You don't gather together with saints. Saints wouldn't have anything to do with you. You gather together with sinners. That's what Christ was doing when he started. He gathered together with sinners. And some of those sinners became saints. I pray you become saints. I pray that you repent and start seeking a kingdom that is based on the righteousness of God. Volunteering to search each other's soul as much as you need to search your own soul to find out what has crept in and caused you to become an unbeliever. Because right now, most of you are unbelievers. You you have, you have gone the way of the Nicolaitan. You have gone the way of Balaam. Okay. We, we wrote it down. We 
struck a line underneath it. Now let's see if we can strike a line through it by turning around and going the other way. Gathering as Christ commanded and start caring about one another as much as you care about yourselves. In free assemblies, contributing not just to those who will scratch your back, but contributing to those you don't even know. So, anyway, I've, I'm going to go through a, uh, I've, I kind of reviewed these. I wrote them down many years ago. Uh, five steps. But I'm going to add to them if I get time. And hopefully we'll talk about them in greater detail. If you, Everybody should join the network. Ask questions on the network. And they will, uh, you know, I can't, I can't get into chat rooms while I'm, I'm working. Uh, while I'm, I'm speaking on the radio, I'm not going to be answering your questions uh, and trying to read the next question. We do have a live uh, study where people can ask questions and we have an outline that we're going through the Free Church Report on Tuesdays. Join the network. You're going to get these announcements. But join the network as if you care about other people joining the network. So post to the network's Saying, let's form a congregation. Let's, let's start gathering together. Let's start making a religious habit out of speaking with one another. People fall away because they don't see this church as the comfortable church they're used to. The, the comforting church they're used to. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. Start doing what the Holy Spirit has told us and start learning what He's telling you to do day by day. And then uh, we will meet each other all in the kingdom. But until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.